everybody and welcome to another episode of Uniquely Designed. So I would like to just start here and confess that if you see me laughing or really, really leaning into the conversation, it is not um, something that I'm, I'm trying to pretend like I'm interested in or pretend like something was funny or something was engaging. I am really literally interested in the conversations that I have, which is why I enjoy doing this. And I hope that you enjoy listening and sharing the content as well. But listen, today's conversation, I just want to admit, I was not versed and I'm still not as versed as I should be and can be on the whole agricultural process, farming and all of that. And my guest today um, is a Kentucky State University alum. Um, so um, we share that common bond. But just how he goes into the great information and history of farming and how that I wasn't ready I had no clue so I want those of you who might be as unversed as I am shamelessly I just I apologize I just didn't know that much I want you to go ahead and grab your friends even young um, your children it's a great conversation with Trevor Claiborne also known as uh, Farmer Brown um, great conversation. I don't want to even tell you what he's talking about. So without any further ado, let's go into this great conversation. Let's go. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in always. And um, I have uh, I'm be a little biased because um, not only am I interested in this conversation, but we are also fellow thoroughbreds of the Kentucky State University, always representing. So those of you uh, who did not have the pleasure of experiencing uh, that um, great, prestigious university, we apologize and hope that you still excel in life. <laughs> so, uh, so how was it, though, for you? Just to start there, how was it for you? Um, what made you even choose going to Kentucky State, like um, HBCU? Uh, so I don't even know. Like, where are you from? So I'm originally from Macomb, Mississippi, but I uh, grew up in Lexington, so I'm, I'm I KY. Know, I don't know if I even asked you that before. I don't know. We're just figuring this out now together. You know, I lived in Natchez, Mississippi oh, for, oh, okay. for about nine and a half years. Oh, wow. So you, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I know where Macomb is. Yeah. So how did Kentucky State get introduced to you from Macomb? So it's kind of a long story. So my mother, she's a retired educator. So she had gotten a, a job at Bryan Station, seeing her as a teacher. And so, you know, she came up to Kentucky, uh, raised me and my sister. Uh, we were discussing earlier about being a non-traditional student. So, uh, you know, kind of going through it fast. So I got, I was in the hip hop from 95 to about yeah, 99, 99. I started my path at B, uh, BCTC. Actually, it was LCC at that time. Yeah, can't tell you how old I am. Community college, yeah. But uh, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. You know, I was uh, I was bent on doing music. I felt like this was the pathway for me. You know, and so I pursued that for a few years. We lived down in Atlanta, Georgia. My group Bonafide Circle uh, for about five years in Atlanta, Georgia. Came back to Kentucky. I was a janitor. <laughs> Uh, you know, that that life can happen fast. And so long story short, a, a few friends of mine, we were sitting together just kind of figuring out, you know, what we wanted to do with ourselves. This was about 2007. And uh, I came up with my first business, Hometown Environmental Restoration Operation. And it was basically a lawn care business, but we were kind of looking towards, because if you remember 2007, that's when President Obama was, uh, you know, in ele his first election, a lot of optimism and this word urban restoration kept coming up and you know we were you know we were optimistic and saying hey you know how can we work ourselves within this space and so we were uh north side lexington so we were around a lot of distressed properties and so the goal was okay along with our lawn care how can we incorporate this restoration with the services and so fast forward, one of my friends was like, hey, bro, you know, you can go to school. You know, they pay you to go to school. And what he meant was scholarship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know. You get the word pay. You know how it gets when, when, when you sit in powwowing with your buddies and you're trying to come up with all these ways to, you know, just navigate the system. And so in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I did uh, drop out of LCC back in 99. You know, I'm I'm on good graces, so let me go back now. And so by then, so I re-enrolled in 2000 and, well, 2009 at BCTC, uh, Environmental Science and Technology. Uh, I was a lot older at that time, so what, I was 28 when I re-enrolled. Uh, I'd already done the rap thing, and so I was really focused on trying to legitimize our uh, urban restoration business. And so as I was uh, 
getting into that field of urban restoration or uh, environmental science, I realized there was never more than two of us in any class that I was ever in when it came to like, you know, environmental science, environmental law, uh, soil quality, things of that nature. And the one brother that was there, he was from Detroit. Uh, he dropped out, I think, the second semester. And so I had a full two years there. I would be the only one. <laughs> but it was it was one of the most amazing uh, experiences I had as far as this is just very new to me. You know, you know what it is in Atlanta to go from Atlanta to being out out in the wilderness uh, doing nature hikes, soil, uh, soil samples, things of that nature. So it was intriguing. And then just uh, realizing like, man, you don't see a lot of us in this space. And so fast forward, uh, working with Miss Charlene Walker, uh, she said, hey, Trevor, you know, they have scholarships, you know, at, uh, 1890s land grants for STEM. You know, STEM, that was kind of the buzzword at that time. And so it was almost a spin the bottle situation. I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, there is an HBCU up the street, K-State. And unfortunately, I'd always known K-State as the party school. You know, this is where you go for homecoming. Like, yeah. I didn't even know such thing as agriculture existed there. And so uh, it was a spin the bottle situation. There weren't any uh, environmental science programs at that time. And this is 2012 when I graduated from BCTC. And so it was the College of Agriculture, Ag, Food, and Environment. And so I'm like, okay, this is STEM. Well, I'll go. And once again, the whole premise was, and, and by this time we had gotten into community service, uh, you know, getting kids, taking them outdoors, things of that nature. But it was when I got to K-State where, you know, my whole life changed as far as just understanding agriculture, understanding the history of it, understanding the economics of it, the just Overall well-being of a nation, overall well-being of an individual is based on your food, and then the nation so is driven come back. by your food so supply. You jump, yeah, so. Before you jump into it, because I know you're going to unload there, I want to go back, way back, because Mississippi, were you rapping in Mississippi? No. Oh, no. I grew okay. up in Lexington. I was born okay. down there. So Mississippi, Lexington, Atlanta, rap group somewhere in there, to go from rap to um food environment you know and agriculture and soil sampling all this stuff what caused even that transition you know because there was a reason you got into because i know even your you know singer songwriter rap you know all that type of stuff to go into something that had you ever been exposed to it somewhere earlier, or was it all adult, like when you got older? My mother, you know, the Deep South gardening is normal in many places, especially if you got the old school grandmothers. And so there was always, you know, garden plots around my granny's house. That would be one of those things where if you don't get out of my hair, I'm going to make you come, you know, work in this garden with me. And so it was always just an abstract something that somebody else did. Uh, my mom would always have a backyard garden growing up. That was just normal. I assumed everybody's, you know, household had one of these. But I never, uh, I never once thought of agriculture as a business. I just, you know, I go to the store. I'm hungry. I buy something. It's prepared, fast food. And so it was. I think it was really my. Uh, so I spent maybe six years, even even while I was in undergrad, even going up to K State. I was a janitor. I worked full time at BCTC as a custodian. How did even that, um, because I, I can imagine, because I, I don't know, but like even with your rapping with your group, um, were y'all like doing sets all the time, like always oh, traveling? I, t I tell you what, so we, we did pretty well, right? Okay. And this, this is, uh, I hate to jump around when I tell kids, because a lot of times we see the entertainment or the sports as this is where the bag is. And you know, some you don't you don't want to be a person with sour grapes. Oh, well, because I couldn't get there, I don't like it. Like, no, I've I've experienced the highs of it, and I've also experienced the lows. You know, you're only as valuable as your popping single. Uh, depending on the links you want to go, if you're in a competitive music market, and this ties to every market. You know, you have to. Do you want to talk about the stuff that's selling? It, you know, we're country boys. And so it got to a point where, uh, so we we go tour around the country with uh, Rob Jackson and Black Coffee. Both of them had uh, record deals with Motown and Arista. And so we were on the independent label, Teamwork. We all had the same management. And so, like I said, the same shows. Uh, we had our own shows doing the CDs. And what we would do is, like, whenever, you know, the focus went towards them, we'd come back up to Lexington. I had a, a, a big brother, Kirk Blackburn, burn, 
uh, he'd, he'd give us little part-time janitor gigs just to make a little extra money before we go back down to Atlanta. And so I did that for easily 10 years, up up until I started working at the research farm. So it was about 10 years in the custodial work. But I think it was doing that work. Uh, it would be sometimes, I, I know some, some of your listeners remember Starlight yeah. and K2s. Yeah. And so these were millionaires, uh, you know, black folks that uh, uh, used to uh, do those shows. Rodney Hughley, he, he's uh, transitioned, but they own cleaning services. So they own cleaning services, and they were bringing the concerts in, and then they own these clubs. So we ripped the stage, and then after everybody's gone, we'd be in there cleaning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a very, uh, it was a mental exercise. You going from you go from being popular. Hey, you know, you know, dancing to your music to now I'm cleaning your puke up out of this bathroom. And so what that did. You said something I don't want to skate by because you said it's a mental exercise because there are people who would skip over that and would stay with the celebration and not with the character building. You know, that's really that's really um, strong that you said the mental exercise of that, because, you know, now that you are an entrepreneur, of course, you still work and stuff as well um, and do different things. But that mental exercise, I would never even equate the word mental exercise like the exercise. When I think of exercise, you're working on something, working out something. So what do you feel was being worked out of you or worked in you? While you were, I mean, because you said, you know, the stage, celebrating, and now cleaning up people's puke. You know, that's exercise, you know, humility. But what do you Humility. Uh, Pride goes before the fall. I signed my first autograph when I was 15. Uh, uh, We just jumped off in high school. uh, Bonafide Circle used to sell tapes. I mean, we make hundreds of dollars a week. You know, we're high school selling music. And so, you know, there's a certain ego, and I think any athlete or anybody that's athlete or entertainer that's ripped the stage or had, you know, uh, people that will look at you as a fan, I know they know that feeling of, man, these people think I'm big. I don't want them to think I'm smaller than what I am. And so uh, living that process of life, putting you in place, you're left with a choice. Now, do I try to keep up this image like everything's great, or do I just try to get back to the basics and really – you know, going to this uh, point you're making about exercise, do I, you know, can I become a better person? You know, I would never apologize for my time in music because, you know, it was a lot of learning experiences. Uh, it's one thing understanding music as a listener, but when you understand the production of it, it actually plays directly into what I do now with Farmer Brown, the MC. You know, just understanding the tie between hip hop, culture, and everything that we're sold. I mean, most commercials you listen to now, they have some sort of hip hop theme color or culture around it and so saying that to say it uh it took that to build confidence right it, it builds confidence but then it took the uh custodial work it took you know and I didn't get paid a lot of money like I said I was doing that because I knew okay I need to finish school uh, I'm not gonna take out all these loans and so I need to make sure you know because I still got bills rent and things of that nature and so it really humbled me you know it, uh, it kept me focused on okay what's really important uh is that how people see you important or is the service that you're providing for people? Is that what's important? And so each step of the way, uh, that mental exercise of just being able to humble yourself, I think the most high, it's a mechanism within the way of God that, you know, when you follow my way, then I'll direct your path. Lean not to your own understanding. And so my understanding was, okay, Trevor, it's ain't about being popular. This is about how can you leverage what you've been blessed and able to do to benefit, you know, others around you. I just think that that's, I think it's so loaded in ways that I probably can't even articulate. But, um, of course, you know, you talk about the how um, God will arrange things. and But a lot of people still don't submit to that arrangement. You know, Because it requires works. change. It yeah. requires you looking in the mirror, realize, okay, I was wrong. Okay, I did this. And, you know, nothing's free. You pay for it up front on the back end. And so the sooner you address, the sooner you can look in the mirror and be like, okay, that was a bad judgment. Okay, there's a better way. Okay, there's more I should be doing. There's more I could be doing. Uh, there's nobody to run and tell. There's nobody to blame. I'm the thing that ha- that's in common with every problem I have. And so to the degree, it's a humbling process. You know, it's very yeah, humbling. It's just so many things of, uh, you know, saying I'm the common. I'm, I'm, you know, it's taking that ownership. Um, and being a part, you know, there, um, um, oftentimes, even when you look at, um, some type of, um, 
wheel and the pottery and clay. The clay has to uh, submit to the work of the one who's doing the work to, you know, make that. And a lot of us mm-hmm. don't get to that part. So in some regards, we wind up living less in our potential because we just cannot stay still. No. So that janitorial process and even, uh, as you say, reflecting back on your grandmother or different ones who had um, gardening or whatever. You know, I grew up having a uh, garden in our backyard when I was um, growing up in um, western Kentucky. Um, and um, But there's no part of that that made me want to get in it, you know, maybe because I didn't stay on the wheel long enough, you know. But um, so you feel like the... Because uh, even when you we talked about earlier about you made the reference to even being a non-traditional student. And uh, for myself as well, we talked about how this is before we recorded, y'all, about how um, we started traditionally <laughs> and ended non-traditionally, you know, and how there are a lot of people even in that uh, would have started and not went well. Like you said, you didn't finish, you know, BCTC at that time, what it was called then. I mean, LCC, LCC. LCC is what it was called then, <laughs> now BCTCS. Uh, but anyhow, didn't finish it. Uh, but then you went back, you know, uh, what part, I mean, and maybe that's something about um, the mental exercise as well, that somewhere you said, I really need to finish. I need to go back and be able to do something. Like I said, it was embarrassing. Most of the classes I was in, people, I have nephews, older than the people I was in class with, you know, especially uh, when I got to K-State, you know, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of my classmates didn't look like us. It was a handful of us, and I'm like, this is a great program. Like, why don't more people in Kentucky know about this program? Like, this is a huge opportunity. And so uh, I was kind of driven by my embarrassment. Like, why does this 18-year-old know more about how a farm operates than I do? You know, everybody on the planet eats. And so, you know, understand economics. If you have a product that everybody needs, because everybody doesn't need entertainment, everybody don't need, the you know, the forms of recreation, but everybody has to eat. And so when you think about how many different positions, roles, jobs, careers, entrepreneurship opportunities that's entailed just in the way people eat. And I didn't even know the difference between, a, say, a tractor and a, a implement. You know, that's embarrassing. You know, because my mind is, oh, agriculture is just plows and cows. And then uh, one thing that brought it to my attention, uh, you get me talking about things, man. I'll talk. It's I good. Apologize. Yeah. No. Uh, I had a professor. Uh, it was a brother. Wore Jordans. Had the Sunni. I don't know if you ever met Dr. Collins. Mm-hmm. Okay, from D.C. You know, he he uh, went through the HBCU circuit. And he was a doctor, chemistry. And, you know, I remember actually seeing him on a billboard before I transferred to K-State. This is how – you know, it says that God works in mysterious ways. And so because he was the one in his field <laughs> where there weren't many others that looked like him. But I remember he had brought to my attention. He was uh, my ag and energy teacher. He's like, now, uh, do you know only like 2% of the farmers in North America are black? You know, like, what do you think about that? And, then, you know, it just, wow, 100% of us eat and only 2% of us are producing it. How? And think about this, man. Agriculture is a $1 trillion and growing industry in just North America alone, $1 trillion. Out of that, black farmers, people classified as black farmers, primary operators, these are the ones that own the farm, 0.5% of the revenue of a $1 trillion industry. Let that sink in. Not 5%, not 50%. Uh, depending on the census count, we we stayed around thirteen, fourteen forever. But I could see thirteen percent, right? But zero point five percent of a trillion dollar industry that everybody, you know, irregardless of color, ideology, uh, which side of the bird you stand on, everybody has to eat. And I'm a part of a group that only represents like one point four percent of producers and getting zero point five percent of the uh, revenue from this field. And, and I think you. <clears throat> For those of you who are wondering where the money resides, <laughs> it's in that percent right there. Um, it made me think of something you said earlier that some people are not in pursuit of the knowledge of it because of a lack of understanding. And you said something about plows and cows, you know. Mm-hmm. And when we do think of agriculture or farming or any of that stuff, we don't even we have no understanding that some of us, depending on what region we're from, have no 
you know, relation to it. And then sometimes based on the commercials or the different things we see, we're not seen. So you would, in some regards, um, be uh, impressed or want to ascribe to entertainment or mm-hmm. ascribe to some of the things are um, acting or things that you see because that that's in front of your face. When in regard, in another sense, I would venture to say that agriculture is probably in our face as well, but we don't know what to look for. Think about it, man. Uh, so when I was in fourth grade, fourth, you know, uh, third through fourth grade, that was actually, or well, third through fifth grade was my research for Farmer Brown MC that I did at uh, K-State. But when you're in that age range, you're still, you know, your mind is impressionable. The pit, the posters I would see in my classroom would be Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, Bo Jackson. Uh, maybe you see Bill Cosby at that time and LeVar Burton, right? So that would be the, you know, black imagery. Uh, when it came to science, you see Albert Einstein. Uh, when it came to people that uh, that I resemble genetically, when it comes to farming, it will be through the auspice of slavery in your history book. So there was literally never a marketing image in cotton. In cotton, it was always a disparaging image. When you, if, you know, if you're a little brown kid in uh, social studies, because you know most other classes you probably don't talk about it much, but social studies, the few chapters they do talk about slavery. It's like the images. It makes you think of just distress. It makes you think of this is something I need to run away from. You know, I'm doing better if I'm away from this, this picture. And these are mostly black and white pictures. These are just moments in time. You might have just caught these people just coming off of a full day of uh, getting a good yield for themselves. Like, so my family, uh, so my grandmother's family is from the deep south in Louisiana. They were commercial farmers, and this was in the early 1920s. Uh, it wasn't slavery. They were successful commercial farmers with third-grade educations. But once again, the culture said, no, you want to go up north to the factories. You want to go to the city. You don't want to be out here working in this field for yourself. Go on and sell us this land for cheap and so you go you get th- you a job. So do you think that um, some of your makeup is through the history of the family um um, dynasty of farming and how you were exposed to that through or finding out your history because when you say those images because I've seen those same images and when you do think of I mean in some heck some of the movies reflect that same disparaging absolutely thought you know that when we see whatever it is it's like we're trying to escape it and try to run away from it and get out of it. Give us free, you know, give so us, we go. And then when we do get freedom, we go into the city or to whatever town they have in these movies or whatever. And then we become lawyers and doctors. Nothing wrong with any of that and stuff. But it's like the things that we were picking using just that one part, just cotton, there's much more than that. But just even using that. We weren't even some way shaped to even say, I'm going to take that cotton and I'm going to make something with that. Exactly. Instead of them using me to pick it or being used to pick it, I'm going to develop it and grow it. And now you're going to wear it. You know, that mindset, um, because you said your family in the 1920s or whatever was commercial farmers, you know, and not slaves, but um actual doing this is during the age of black wall street yeah you know these 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 times that we talk about and reminisce about uh irony is the largest percentage of black farmers there's ever been in north america was in 1925 that's when black farmers were 15 percent of american farmers so before civil rights uh as a matter of fact this is before world war one world war two black farmers were 15 percent of the producers so with all of the affirmative action, with all of the progress we've made, all of the education, we're at 1.4%. So what changed? So so think think, think about this. And so now let me tell you all that. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> learning at the same time. And I hope this is very interesting to me, this, this concept. And for those of you who are just stumbling into listening to this or watching this, you know, I told him before, you know, that all of these conversations that I've had with different people are... Uh, one is interesting to me as well because all of us are all of us have a lane that we are developing in and uniquely designed for and this particular lane that you're in is underpopulated by us so that's why i'm so severely 
yeah, interested in that, like what shifted and changed. You think about a uh, random, random day or week in the 80s, late 80s, 90s. You know, if you're a young black male or a young black female, what you're seeing on TV. That's around when Roots came out. You know, movies like Roots, 12 Years a Slave, even going back to Color Purple. Those were horrible marketing tools. Oh, help me, y'all. For agricultural yeah. People know family. that Color Purple is my favorite movie. Help me. I, I love a, the movie. Give me a moment of silence. Right? <laughs> no. Like, we, yeah, I know the these are movies concept. we yeah. grew up on. These yeah. were like a part of our, like, yeah. you know, I grew up with my mom and my sister. So, obviously, the women, you know, love that movie. So, saying that to say. Uh, but the but you, but you I get what you're saying. The the signs or symbols that were being shown that we in some regard just equated to struggle and stress and strain and not building or growth i i would probably now look at it through a different lens Very that different, i probably right? didn't look at it as before you, you think about so the uh entertainment we have i'm hip-hop to the core but sadly our hip-hop is literally destructive. I almost see it as a weapon of war as far as the words. It preaches death. It preaches unrighteousness, imbalance. But saying that to say that had to be marketed to somebody to say, hey, it's cool to promote the destruction of a neighborhood through, you know, whatever it uh, means. And you understand what I'm talking about. And so the same way, the same way that destructive behavior was marketed through TV, through music videos. You have, you know, the pretty ladies. You have the parties. Have all the colorful. Agriculture was marketed backwards. It was marketed as something like you know, with with, with your cousin. You got a plate. Y'all are playing. You don't want them to eat it, so you lick the plate, and so they won't come back and eat your plate. Right? You're marking it, and so. And I'm not saying that that was done intentionally. I don't know, but that is that was a side effect of being marketed this. Uh, the sports, you know, the living the high life, you know, bling, bling, having a good time. And see, like I said, in my unique position, I experienced it because I thought that's what I wanted to do. You know, that I, I was impressed. Uh, the first rap video I saw was in 91. It was uh, Snoop Dogg. 92. It was Snoop Dogg. And from there, because my mom wasn't with it. You know, we uh, <laughs> she wasn't with it. Like, she found my first rap record. She made me burn them. And yeah. so that put that uh, rebellious spirit in me, like, no, she don't like it. I love it. But saying that to say it, it was marketed yeah. to me like this is the, you know, if I want to be a rebellious person, this is what to do rap. Mm -hmm. And it's like today, fast forward to today, uh, agriculture to me personally is one of the best forms of, uh, I don't want to say rebellion, you know, unless you're rebelling against hunger, unless you're rebelling against uh, bad economics. But it's something that the world needs anyway. When we think about uh, the history of slavery, America was built on agriculture. It wasn't fruits and vegetables. It was like the grains for your bourbon and whiskey and cotton and hemp, things of that nature. But like you said about the cotton, these are products that people use to turn into things that people sell. Yeah. And our ancestors, uh, if we go with the narrative of slavery of, what, 400 years Genetically, you've mastered this skill of working the land. When, you know, I hate to get too scientific, but you almost have to when you're talking about agriculture. Uh, one of the uh, main drivers or uh, things that affect agriculture is the labor. And so I don't know if you know, 80% of the food grown in North America is grown by people not from North America. Meaning, you know, if you go any any random direction on an American farm, ownership is very different. Ownership is like 95% uh, white Americans, but when it comes to actually who's you know putting in the work, the fingers is going to be your H two A workers uh, below the border. This is why it, uh, it's not even political. You have to think logistically. Eh, you know, I want to keep the border closed, but eh, if I close this border, y'all ain't gonna eat. Are y'all teaching y'all's kids to go out here and farm? Uh, these tractors we see that they're unsustainable, right? A lot of the heavy machinery, a lot of the old ways that we've been doing agriculture, like it's. Uh, it's not good for the lamb. We destroy the lamb. You know, even in the Bible, uh, you, you had your seven years of plenty, and then you had your seven years where you let it lie fallow. That is the most high's perfect sustainable farm. But when it became commercialized, uh, and this is shortly after slavery, and, and one of the things, slavery ended because machines came. Mm. Like, I don't really need y'all out here no more. It ain't about a, a good thing or bad thing. It's like, okay, there's machines. There's another way to do this. And so saying that to say our which is, <laughs> our global agricultural which is very important. Our global agricultural system 
had gotten so dependent on just commercial, go big. We got 7 billion people on this planet that got to eat, grow big, grow big. And in doing that, you destroy the land. Uh, when we think about the carbon emissions, when we think about a lot of the climate change issues, a lot of this is directly tied to agricultural practices. Uh, I would be a hypocrite if I sat here and said I don't eat something that was produced in this process, right? And so instead of getting mad about it, what can I do? Uh, is it feasible to try to be as sustainable as I can be as an individual, as as well as grow a garden? You know, I'm not going to uh, – I can't feed my full family off of what I can grow in a small garden. But if you, connect, if you can convince enough people to grow a small garden, then you start – it becomes more of a natural food system. Which is uh, professionally professionally speaking, this is where it's going. It's going to go back to localized food. Uh, the big farms that uh, most of us have grown up seeing, and it's unsustainable. I'm thinking of some positive um, imagery uh, of farming and agricultural. And one of the few that I can think of that shows... Um, Black Americans is Ava DuVernay, Ava DuVernay's um, Queen Sugar. That just came out, didn't it? Yeah, and it's very recent. But I, I, when I think of that and how it promotes taking care of your own, going out there, you know, they inherited their dad's land and that building of it. And honestly, I know a few shows like that that have that whole let's protect this <laughs> let's make sure this is for our people let's make sure that the farmers are protected let's make sure that the people have um that there's no highways going through their land that's making you know and it makes me think of what you're talking about as far as um how we need to grow our own and what what it is that we're supposed to be doing to sustain so uh but anyway, i just thought about that because i was trying while you were talking i was just trying to think i'm like what there's got to be something that's positive that's really very showcasing recent this, you very know, recent so. you'll start seeing you know once again this is something i learned at k-state uh sometimes the pictures you see on a flyer if every time you see say a picture of a science class uh, say i'm a hbc or i'm wanting to promote diversity uh, before we had letters, we read symbols. We were visual people, right? And so if you're always seeing the, the brown students just learning, never in a position of, you know, teaching, that's going to affect, you know, the mind of, now, can I really thrive in this field? That looks like it's too hard. But I always see myself in the lead when it comes to playing sports, or I always see myself in the lead when it comes to entertaining and making people feel good. And so, once again, the imagery is everything. Uh, from this conversation we're having now, there, uh, I guarantee there's going to be at least one individual that's going to hear maybe a sentence of what we've talked about, and they're going to talk to somebody close to them. You know, this is the concept of how seeds start, you know, that mustard seed. And it's like, this is why I, I was uh, very appreciative of you bringing me on to have this conversation. Because yeah. it, it's not one of those things that you uh, – you get on a, a podium and talk about it's a very per interpersonal discussion to be had. But I'm just thinking of all the children or people, young people, or even non-traditional, you know, people who are older um, that could benefit from understanding the power that we have, um, and and um, not that anyone's going to necessarily start a. Uh, garden or anything but i mean this possible start a, start you know, a garden in your window yeah anything to start to appreciate i was i was actually this morning i was um and i by no means understand plants agriculture any of that type of stuff i mean i understand some things so i'm not even gonna get into it but even this morning i was talking to my youngest son and i was um uh, there was a lot of brownery around the different plants and I was cutting off that stuff and I was asking him why, why am I doing this? Do you know why? And he said, um, he said, I don't know, I guess for it to grow. I said, well, why won't it grow if I leave this stuff on here? And he was like, well, well, that's dead around it. I said, so I cut it off so that it will grow. I mean, it was a simple conversation, but it wasn't about gaming, YouTube, right, Facebook, any of that type of stuff. So those type of introductions you know, not saying he's scary to start growing plants, you know, but this type of stuff that you're talking about and the 0.5%, you know, or or less that's in that industry. There are people, like you said, that I do hope that listen to this conversation and either Google or look you up and be like, I need to 
please introduce this to our, our this concept. It's a game of niches. I mean, you think about it. So everybody, agriculture, I think, is 19 million total jobs in North America, uh, ag-related fields. Every year, 35,000-plus jobs get unfilled in agriculture. And this is why you have to bring in H-2A workers because people aren't going into this field. The average person with a college degree, and it's not saying you have to get a degree, so on average you stand to make about $2.6 million over the course of your career. It sounds like a lot of money. It equates to about, you know, 50, 40-some thousand. So when we think about all of the jobs that are being lost right now, there's a lot of job opportunities within the ag field and everything getting out in the field. An uh, ag marketer actually makes, on average, about 109000 a year. This is average. Marketer doesn't touch a farm, uh, probably doesn't touch a farm product. They just use a platform such as yours. To you know, if you're working for a corporation, you're gonna market whatever products your corporation sells. If you're working independently or working with a cooperative, uh, you're gonna market what your cooperative is selling. Uh, there's people that understand logistics; they just know how to move something from point A to point B. You go to any random—I uh, hate to say the word hood—but you go to any random hood around uh, Kentucky or United States. There's young people that under understand logistics very well. Get a product from here get it to there, get it to there in a competitive climate, get the money, take it back. This is the same thing with food. Food is literally, the it, it takes the same brain power. And when you put into perspective, everybody you pass every day has to eat. When they go to the store, I mean, if your package isn't right, packaging is right, and this goes into the arts, this goes into your more creative people. If your packaging is right, they're not going to take time to see what color the fingers were of the person that produced it. If it looks good, if it's a good product, I'll eat it. You know, food, fuel, and fiber. If you like the cotton you're talking about, uh, it's going to go to hemp. I'm just giving you a heads up. This this uh, this innovative hemp that's from this regenerative plant that fixes the soil, ooh, you know, we yeah. now have somebody that designs clothes. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because you brought up hemp. And uh, because those of you who uh, need new books, um, here's some great books that um, that was sent to me. I, I have been learning. I I feel like the student <laughs> reading these. We're, books. we're all learning. I we're mean, all learning. I mean, I have really. I wish that, and one of the reasons I want to have this conversation because I appreciate what you're doing. I really do, and how you're packaging and introducing these pearls to minds that would have never been introduced to it by us you know um had somebody not wrote it you know so these these things will outlive you you know and plant seeds in other people's minds so that's why i appreciate it but when you said hemp i looked at it i did not know this and and those of y'all who are watching judge me if you want um and a plague of frogs will come in your life <laughs> but uh it said you know hemp fiber is stronger and lighter than cotton uh, hemp fabric is great for apparel and accessories such as shirts Hats, shoes, dresses, pants, handbags, purses, and even for upholstery in cars and on furniture. Who knew? I didn't know. <laughs> that, that, like, there's I, a lot of people lost money this past year in Kentucky because, you know, it's just now getting uh, legalized to grow. You know, you have to get licensed. But everybody went for the oil. Uh, hemp had, there's about 25,000 different products or 20,000 products you can derive from hemp. I mean, you can get bricks from hemp. So once again, when we're thinking long-term of the opportunities, because what I'm talking about is the opportunities, right? Uh, we know the world's going to have to be sustainable. Hemp is better on the soil than cotton. And so a lot of those big plots where you see cotton, okay, yeah, we can't do nothing with cotton anymore, so it's going to be replanted with hemp. Uh, for people that know how to grow the cousin of hemp, you know, grow something that actually grows fiber. It's, it's, li it's literally within the same family. And so it's, it's, it's taking these skill sets that we already have and applying them to, broad, you know, just looking at the game a little bigger. Then uh, It was funny. When I first got into this, Every all my friends assumed I was wanting to grow marijuana. Oh, I know why you're going in that farm. You want <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I want to learn how to grow food. And, and, you know, once again, from that seed, I realized, like, wow, agriculture touches every bit of everything that's your wood your wood shelf was a tree at one time on somebody when we talk about generational wealth so granddad said all right i know one day i'm gonna want my grandkid to go to college and i don't want them to go to debt i want them to start a business so i'm gonna plant this plot on my family land because family been able to talk with one another and actually sit down and plan things out 
we're going to grow a couple acres of these oak trees. And in 40 years, you know, when we think of investments in 40 years, this will take care of, because I know people's going to need lumber, desks, them people like playing on them basketball courts, uh, you like to uh, build with wood, so I know this is something that's needed. So forestry, uh, that's a form of agriculture. The son who har well, the grandson who harvested now has money in the bank that granddad planted years ago. That took you know nature took care of it, right? These are different forms of agriculture. You can run certain animals through trees. You know, there's multiple systems, and so that's why I say you know the the beauty of getting an education around it. You know, there's certain natural things you can learn just by starting your own. Uh, window window plant for example or your backyard garden but then the educational piece it really breaks down how many uses it is and then how many areas of opportunities like i guarantee uh across ethnicity i think the world needs somebody to take lead or somebody to uh they know we come from an agricultural people. When I say they, just the proverbial they, whoever we're talking about understand man now these folks who have mastered the arts you know, music, entertainment, sports, uh, culinary, fashion, everything we talk about that drives humanity, makes humanity better, we've mastered. And so is the thing that we mastered that actually feeds people, that's what we're not paying attention to. So it's like if we want to help ourselves, right, let's learn to help the world by feeding, by providing the things that the land provides in a sustainable way. Because we know our ancestors didn't have tractors and all of this technology to work with. So by nature, we're a sustainable people. And so to solve the, uh, I'm the type of person, I don't see a lot of problems. I see a lot of opportunities. Uh, uh, the lockdowns over the last year, it, it opened up a lot of the different needs within the food system. I know you're hearing the stories about the supply chain shortages, uh, the disruptions as far as at the ports. These are some of those 35,000 jobs that don't get filled. You know, your quality inspectors. I remember when I was in, at K-State in 2015, I think only one out of every 100 of those shipping containers were even checked for quality because you don't have, you know, a robot can only scan so much. And if you don't have a ground soil of people going into this field, eh, I got thousands of these coming in a day. Who has the time? Logistical. So saying, uh, I think the point you made about your son is perfect. Son, why why didn't this work? Go a little deeper. Well, you know, if 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 you're watering, because this plant needs water and sunlight, so if some of this water and sunlight's going to a piece of it that's dead, it's wasted. We don't want to waste nothing, right? And so the kid's mind, and if it's focused on now, guess what? If, uh, this same thing Dad just taught you about this plant. If you apply it to something like hemp, if you apply it to something like uh corn or something that you can turn into different products then the kid's mind early turns okay i see what dad was doing it was just in the window but man if i grow you know, a thousand of these years i can make this and turn it into this and create a business and literally everything we put our hands on at some point was just a mineral or resource in the ground that somebody decided i could turn this into this there's x amount of people that will buy this and like i said food is a it's a giveaway and my thing is how to how to get us excited about the opportunities within producing food. It doesn't require, you know, a lot of activism. It doesn't require a lot of anger. It literally feed people. Find a niche within the space that feeds people, clothes people, and give shelter. When you said earlier before we recorded, you said out of all the things that divide us, food unites us, you know. Um, and I've, I keep thinking of the quote that is often said. I don't know who said it. Uh, they said, if you find what you're passionate about, you'll never work another day. And to see the passion that you have for this, um, it's not work for you. This is just pouring out of you like, you know, like which is representative of the books that you're sharing and just the information. So. First of all, we could wrap off. We could not wrap off. We could continue this conversation on and on and on and on, but we're wrapping up. Right. And uh, I have enjoyed the lessons that I've learned. And I hope that you all, I really, really, really hope that there are some people that are watching this and um, something has gone off in you and taken ownership of um, your land or ownership for your family or whatever it is. But uh, I want to see where do you see um, this information yourself and how it's spreading like in the next 10 years? How do you feel or what is your your dream or envision of what you see? Yes. 
selfishly, let me be very transparent. Selfishly, so I was best with twins. Uh, Ashley and I have twins, a boy and a girl. They're going to be three in January. But uh, they're learning how to talk, but they know how to say Farmer Brown, Farmer Brown. I'm like their favorite character. Chicken, let's shovel. Chicken, they know the song. you don't watch the character, Farmer Brown is the character. Ca- yes. The uh, overalls. My my children who barely know how to talk know how to plant. Plenty garden. You know, they walk past the garden. Plenty garden. Uh, they love soil. Uh, and so what I know is, wow, so this does work, just imagery. Because uh, some of the books I have, they mm. were books I intentionally designed. Like, you know, when my kids see us talking about food, they need to see pictures of themselves. They need to see representations of themselves in this conversation. That, and, and they it, literally and eat the books. said, you, like, you know, for those of you who, I don't know if you can see this, I don't. I don't have multiple cameras for to zoom in, but um, you, it says these are illustrated by you as well. Yes. So you actually drew them. Yes. So you. And the concept s- is, you know, seeing people that look like you within the space. Well, even of in food. that, I was like, that's a, that's a skill set that somewhere you picked up to draw or to be able to, you know, make sure or you got someone else to do it or you drew it no, yourself. I, I, you I drew, drew it yourself. Yeah. Like, where did even that come from, you know? I've I've always drawn. Yeah. I, I actually started drawing shoes. My mom would never buy me name brand shoes, okay. and so i draw them. Oh, I've, I've just... been there. Yeah, yeah. I'd have the name brand. Sometimes they had the little specials. Payless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever special they had. Right. Yeah, yeah. But you so back to what you feel. But you know, uh, your... in 10 years... Uh, not only do I see just within my household, my children being able to take this and turn it into something that dad and mom couldn't have possibly thought about because they have a, a context of how important it is. They've uh, had an experience with their hands of saying, oh, this is I can do this. I can create this. So my goal, I have a very specific goal. I want to reach 250,000 third through fifth graders. I want to reach 250,000 third through fifth graders. I would say up to this point since 2015, uh, I, w- I would say closer to about 20,000. And this is just in-class presentations, uh, live presentations, different programs. So my goal is 250,000 third through fifth graders, their first conversation about agriculture in relation to themselves is a positive one. Uh, that's why I throw the hip-hop in it. That doesn't mean everybody likes rap, but, I'm, you know, shock value, right? Uh, if I can get your if I can get your mind open for a couple seconds to plant this seed, and that's all it's about two hundred fifty thousand. I believe in the law of thirds, and so if a third of this two hundred fifty thousand who had this positive introduction to this concept of agriculture finds their niche in it, finds their niche in either the sciences, legal, I mean, all of these aspects then that's going to address that 1.4% participation. That's going to increase that 0.5% revenue that we're getting out of a $1 trillion and growing industry. And so a third through fifth grader now, by you're saying 10 years, they're going to be going to college. You know, I have a dream that the halls of these HBCUs and land-grant universities are filled with excited, melanated kids that want to learn how to grow and feed people. Yeah, yeah. And when you said, I want to... um when you said to even build on what you said earlier about uh, selfishly, I, I don't think that it's selfish. I think it's legacy. You know, it's thinking of legacy, which is what you were talking about with the the guy or uh, woman who created land and said 40 years later, I want my children to thinking beyond them. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I think is most important about what you're doing and the passion behind it, that not saying the entertainment and those other areas and you know i love music as well doesn't mean that those things won't outlive us as well but something that's um of a necessity that's feeding us you know we're going to need all of that you know so i i just think that it's it's good so uh wrapping up for there's somebody who's watching or maybe a parent who needs to introduce this stuff to their children or whatever um or get a greater understanding what would you say to people who one, it might be the first time they're hearing this, you know, and some like, what would, what would your words be to them? My words would be, if you really want to know something, learn how to grow something. What that means is start with a seed. Uh, so my, my day job at Kentucky State University, I work with small farms. I'm a, a county extension agent. And the the goal is I give you research-based information. But some of the best advice anybody can get is start small. You know, if you've never uh, tried your hand at growing before or haven't been too successful, just start with maybe a pot or, or two in your house. Water it, nurture it, see what works, see what doesn't work. Uh, as you understand it, expand. 
Uh, once again, the sooner you plant the seed, the sooner you'll see a harvest from it. There's many things. Uh, right now, we do have Google. I mean, Google University does have some uses. Uh, and it's good to see what other people are doing as far as growing. But uh, in the in the uh, times to come, it's definitely going to be a, a necessity for people to at least know how to grow some greens or some lettuce or some herbs. But that uh, has to become a skill that becomes as much a part of our culture as uh, smartphones. <laughs> yeah. If you want to know something, grow something. That's, that's good. I'm going to use that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, y'all tweet that. Um, so how can people follow you? How can they find you? Uh, so that people can, you know, get more information on what it is you're doing and what you're offering. All right. So you can uh, find some of my books online, Trevor Claiborne at Amazon.com. You could also go to my website, FarmerBrownTheMC.site. That's the T-H-A-M-C dot site. Uh, there it can direct you to some of my music. And so I do, you know, like I said, I'm hip hop. So I got some little uh I won't call them kitty songs, but educational songs, uh, hip-hop, talking about farming. So you can access that there. I also do a podcast uh, called B1 Ag Daily Bread Podcast. This is through the Black Boss Channel. And we also have a, a course called HealthyBlackFood.com on the Black Business School. And that's basically just a, a, a guide for anybody wanting to get their garden started. You know, we really go into the science and make it make it palatable for the family. So. Well, everyone, I encourage you to get these books. Um, don't just even get them for your children. If you just need to, you need some understandable literature about the things we've talked about um, and something good to look at, you know, I suggest you look these up. Um, I really, really, once again, appreciate you to having this conversation. Um and being the teacher today, that this wasn't just a regular, ordinary podcast of just talking about, you know, business startup and stuff like this. But these are things that obviously are sustainable and needed, you know, and thank you for um, causing us to look again at some of the imagery that we have kind of just looked over and skated over and and defined as a part of who we are. But it wasn't all of who we were. I think that 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 is one of the lessons I've gotten from today, that it was a part of who we are, but it wasn't all of it. It wasn't the whole story, as you said, about my son, to look a little bit deeper. Um, And I think that this conversation has challenged all of us to look a little bit deeper uh, into uh, what access we already have to things that are we've already been um, designed to build and grow and do. So, um, yeah, our first first setting was the garden. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he gave. Yeah. Don't stop. We're going to have a whole nother conversation. (laughs) Very good. All right. Bye, y'all.